Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also available both live and in archive at RadioNorthland.org. And don't forget, we're on the TuneIn app if you want to listen live and in the moment, you can go to there. So, so many options, so many ways that you can check out Wrestling Memories then and now. I'm Glenn Broggett along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of Texas where uh, things are starting to cool off a bit. Uh, kind of... Uh, I guess it's just part of the you know the whole autumn thing. I guess. Well, my our temps up here may be a little bit on the cooler side, but he's he's got some temp drop, uh, and he's here, and he's got a lot of things to talk about. We have uh, had a couple of weeks off, so we got to get back into the business down there deep in the heart of Texas. The Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy. Hello, Mike. How's it going, Glenn? Glad to be back again. Yeah, glad to be uh, chatting with you once again here. Uh, had, we had the week off. I um, was busy. I had a uh, wedding anniversary to celebrate last weekend and uh, ended up uh, going up uh, to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, of course, and uh, checked out a couple of nice places to eat and walked around for a bit. And then we ended up going uh, to our first Canadian football game, a CFL game with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who absolutely 100% trounced the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. I don't even think George Wells could have came back and helped them out as he's a former Tiger Cat. But yeah, good. And then we ended up going down uh, on Sunday to Minneapolis, went uh, to see the Rolling Stones. I picked up my brother and we headed down there. And uh, of course, that was uh, very... Uh, I, it was an amazing show. I mean, didn't know what to expect without Charlie, but uh, their replacement for Charlie Steve Jordan is one hell of a drummer, and they put on one heck of a show, and next year's their 60th, so who knows what's going to happen with them. So that's a little bit of what I've been up to. I, I guess I've had a few things going on, some irons in the fire, Mike. Uh, yeah, a couple things it sounds like. I haven't quite been that busy, you know, just you know, working, and as we talked about earlier, collecting some books, got to got a large pile in the library that i gotta go through you know but it's good because like you said winter's coming up the weather's gonna get worse so you know curl up in the corner of your couch there you got a cup of coffee got a good book so probably safer than being outside yeah yeah having having a pile of books really isn't quite a burden it's actually it's something you can look forward to i i myself have a pile too but again it's going to help me out come dead of winter when uh, the wind chill is beyond reasonable and there's nothing on the TV. But one of those books, Mike, I, I believe I saw your little picture that you sent me, uh, uh, of course, is about the life of a very interesting guy. I, I saw him a couple of times when he was uh, the manager, uh, Christopher Honey Love, uh, we're talking to, and he later on became a, a well-known promoter down in Menfo and, and beyond, Burt Prentice. And you had a chance to uh, pick up. That's in your, your, your pile of books, and uh, you, you had a good idea to uh, kind of uh, further expand upon uh, this book and kind of let the listeners know a little bit about it today with our guest. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitely, man. Um, yeah, the book Tonight, Tonight, Tonight by Burt Prentice and Scott Teal, definitely in addition to my library. I actually own a lot of the Crowbar Press books. I, I think I might own most of them. Uh, amazing library, you know, Scott Teal does great work. And yes, I reached out and he is our guest this week on this week's edition of Wrestling Memories. So let's go ahead and welcome to the show. Scott, how you doing? Fine doing, doing great, Glenn. How you, and Mike, I hope you all doing good too. 
It sounds like you're doing quite well good. down there, man. Yeah, you, how, the retirement life, though, hasn't exactly been just uh, sitting up, kicking your feet up, and uh, drinking lemonade all day. Sounds like you, I mean, from the, your releases that you've been putting out here, it just sounds like uh, you're even busier than before, but now you don't have to worry about going to the shoot job. That's right. But I'm, uh, yeah, I am busier than before. <laughs> it's just amazing how many things I'm doing now between our church, our grandchildren and writing and researching. And it just never seems to end. I wish I had 26 hours a day instead of 24. But I, uh, when I first retired, I said, uh, first thing I'm going to do is get caught up on all my books and I'll, uh, you know, I'll get everything done and phew, I'm farther behind. I got more books on the docket than, than I'll probably ever finish in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So even the thought, uh, the serious thought of slowing down really didn't stick too long as far as you and putting out these great books or getting some people to come and contact you and finding those right projects that really, really fit your wheelhouse. Oh, yeah. I, there, there's so many I want to want to get done. And I've got uh, Joel Goodhart's book will be the huh. next one out probably. And I got another wrestling archive project. And uh uh, with, you know, the books filled with interviews and, mm-hmm. uh, then of course all the, re- all the record books, I've got another Amarillo, uh, the second half of the Amarillo series, uh, volume two of the Knoxville series, a lot of program books. Uh, yeah, I've got quite a bit on my plate, but I, as I said, I, I'm loving it. I love what I do now. You got a hunger for life, man. And the hunger for pro wrestling and staying busy. That is the best thing. I always say you always got to have something to look forward to. It doesn't matter how big or grandiose it is. As long as you have something that kind of keeps your fire burning, gets you wake, you know, get you up in the morning and makes you uh, want to just get up and conquer the day. It's an amazing thing, you know, and you can combine those passions with, with family life too. So you're not letting, them miss out on any moments absolutely not no we're we're busy busy we go to uh, we have grandchildren play soccer baseball cross country uh all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. they're not doing basketball this year so we're going to get a little bit of break here in the next few weeks yeah and i suppose uh, you'll probably find a way to use that time wisely Oh, I've got I've got times already <laughs> things already planned. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh, I should have expected it from you, but yeah, I mean, you have the you know the Bert Prentice book uh, for which you, uh, I'm going to let Mike uh, and you chat a little bit about before I I get off here. I want to talk about you had another great book before that that you worked on uh, about the Buddy Rogers book. We didn't really have a chance to uh, to talk about that uh, with Tim Hornbaker, which was a fantastic read, I, I might add. Uh, it was out a while back, but if people are still interested, go pick it up, go to Crowbar Press's website, go to Amazon. But talk about that. That has been a, a, a real well-received uh, you know, book from, from you guys, and it really is a good job. I have to tip the hat to, the, to you both. Oh, I was honored that Tim even asked me to publish it because I figured that'd go to, you know, he publishes a lot of books through ECW Press and I sort of thought it would go to them and he contacted me and we made a deal and uh, I I had a lot of fun working on it. I didn't do much on it. Uh, You know, I went through and did a little bit of editing and Mm -hmm. not a whole lot, not compared to what I usually do. Usually I, uh, you know, I write it from beginning to end. I sit down, interview the guys and sit down, transcribe all the interviews and then so I don't rewrite the interviews, but I do reword some things and move things around to make everything flow chronologically. But as far as in Tim's case, man, he's such a good writer. I didn't have to worry about a whole lot of that. And it has been well received. We've been re- very happy with the sales. And uh, uh, it's a book I just never, like I said, I never really thought I'd ever have an opportunity to not only publish, but to actually work on it, you know. And uh, But so, it, yeah, it's been great. 
it's so cool to have these books come out about the these, these great wrestlers. I mean, there's another book coming out here about Ed Farhack, the the Sheik that uh, Brian Solomon's working on that I'm kind of interested in checking out as well. So it's nice to get into these stories and not just have them be footnotes in, in pro wrestling history, especially with uh, these pro wrestling times. You know, some you know some federations like to you know just push the vets under the under the, the old rug. But you know what? It's great that there's people out there, there's historians out there, young and old alike, that have embraced the history and further extend upon finding more about some of these guys that uh, we probably didn't discover at the first or two or three go-arounds with their biographies absolutely and the guys that are that have left us you know passed away reggie parks being the most recent example uh i had been planning to get around to calling reggie because people don't realize how much of an influence he had in the business as far as the title belts go but he was making title belts way back in the six, maybe the sixties, late sixties, seventies. And I wish I'd called him and I, you know, I had every opportunity to do that and I didn't. And, but now he's gone and look at the history we've lost. I mean, there's so much knowledge he had in his head, so many great stories, probably great stories of how he created the belts and, and it got them to people like, you know, Eddie Graham in Florida and mm-hmm. all the different promotions that he, that he made those belts for. And what a loss that is. You know, it's a shame that Reggie's story wasn't wasn't told for that. And and I can name one after the other of the guys who never really did a really good, deep, in-depth interview and passed away. And we, we've lost so much history. So my really, my goal is to interview as many guys as I can and uh, just to get their stories, because so many of them are getting older and, you know, you, we don't know how long they're going to be around. Oh, absolutely! You want to get that history, uh, you know, down so for, you know future, future generations can really get a look into it. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation because we're going to be talking about your book about the life of Burt Prentice tonight, tonight, tonight. Mike, are you ready today, today, today? <laughs> I think I am. I think I am. I think I am. We're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to say, you know, we're talking about Scott and all the work he does and everything else. This man has even taken time out when I reach out to him because I've mentioned before I'm working with Chaz Taylor to try to get, you know, his book out because that was a project that was brought to Scott, but man's got a lot on his plate. So I stepped in, talked to Chaz and said, Hey, let me give it a try. And Scott is even willing to reach out and help me and answer my questions and all that. So he doesn't need 26 hours in a day. I think he needs about another, like, you know, maybe 30, maybe 35. I don't know why I said 26. I'd normally say 30 or 40. <laughs> I have a question for you, but Mike. I, yes. When is the, uh, there, I thought there was a great book coming out soon on uh, world-class wrestling. When, where is that? Oh, you would have to bring that up. Um, that unfortunately, <laughs> that unfortunately got tied up in a lot of legal matters that someone's trying to say that they own copyright to things and, I've fought with him a lot on that. No, no, but it can keep me from using some of the material that I was going to put in it. So it's still there. Um, that, that is a definite, it's a big project. You know, uh, I thought, you know, Hey, I'm going to have this done in a year or two. No, no, no. We're going on like, I think six years now and I'm still putting a lot of it together, but eventually, oh eventually it, it'll, it'll be, it'll be out. It'll be out. <laughs> well, I hope so. That, and that's a shame that somebody does that because, that's a lot of history right there. And, you know, one day if, if they keep putting pressure on you where you don't do it, but look at all the history that's going to be lost. You know, I don't know what ties they had to the world-class promotion, but you think they'd be happy that somebody was is interested enough in writing about it. I mean, face it, 
wrestling books aren't big sellers. You're not going to get rich. In fact, you're probably going to make very little money writing a wrestling book. So what you're doing, Michael, is a, is a labor of love. And for them to try and block you from writing about pro wrestling when all you're doing is you're doing it because you love the business and you want to preserve the history of the business, that's a, that's a real shame. Well, I'll, I'll reach out to you, Scott, on uh, you know, social media. I'll, I'll message you and I'll kind of let you know a little more of the details. I don't want to go out and give any names because I don't want to give anybody any uh, improper credit. Sure. But uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, things are things are going well with Chaz Taylor, though. Uh, we probably got a good hundred unedited pages that I have to put together. Like you said, chronological order. You got to rewrite a few things to make them flow a little better. But, you know, that one's going well. And I do appreciate all the help that you've uh, you've given me when I've reached out to you for any questions and uh, suggestions. Well, don't hesitate anytime. But we're here today to talk about your books, Scott. We're here today specifically to talk about tonight, tonight, tonight your book about Burt Prentice. Uh, very interesting book so far. I've had a chance to read a little bit of it. And it's an interview form, which is something that I found kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of your books are, you know, they're autobiography of the story, but this one's an interview form. You spent a long time, many hours, talking with uh, Burt Prentice before he passed for this book. And just some of the stuff I've had to read of it so far is great. But what I'd like to know is, you know, how did you, or how did Burt Prentice and you get in contact? And how, what was the evolution of the book that we now have uh, available? I be honest with you, I don't really know uh, other than he knew he knew of me. Well, I, I guess we had met at some point, but I guess knowing that I'm pretty much a Tennessee guy and I know the ins and outs of what's going on here, what went on here. Uh, that was probably the catalyst for him calling me and, you know, asking if I, you know, if I'd work with him on the book. And uh, we, we actually started, uh, I, I think we did the first series of interviews. We spent about six hours. He came to the house here and we spent about six, seven hours just chatting and I recorded and that was back April, 2017. So that book has been in the works for, for about four and a half years. And the sad thing is Bert had so much information about Memphis, about the Jackson promotion, the USA pro wrestling, so much our USA championship wrestling. Uh, we covered a lot of stuff in this book. I mean, it's huge. It's, you know, it's like 160, 70,000 words, which is a pretty big book. But the, uh, the sad thing is we, he had a whole, we, we had another whole book plan. Uh, he, he didn't really cover half of what he could have told about Memphis. And we were really going to get into depth on that. Uh, and, and I'm talking about Memphis ever since he started from the time he worked there all the way through the uh, uh, Larry Burton and the Selkers, all that stuff. There's a lot that he we never got around to. And then the USA Championship Wrestling out of Jackson, we had a lot of material we didn't never we never got to because we by the time we got there, he got sick again. He had got cancer. And, you know, between the cancer and him staying so busy, he just couldn't. Uh, we just couldn't get together on it, but but the, but I think the book itself is a good testament to the life of Burt Prentice. We pretty much cover all the bases as far as his life, things he did, and I had so much fun working on it. And I think the most amazing thing about the book, it's really a primer on what it takes to be a pro, or an old time pro wrestling promoter. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, we got old school wrestling. We we're an old time, old school promotion." Most people do not promote like the old time promoters did. And 
I only wish Burt Prentice had lived back in the Nick Goulas days because I think Nick Goulas would have absolutely loved Burt Prentice because Burt got out there and beat the beat the streets. He, you know, he got on there. He he put up window posters. He'd go to the city hall, put up posters. He talked to the local people. You know, he talked to the local politicians. He was an old school promoter. You know, most people don't do that now. And one of the things Burt used to say is. Most of the p- p- promoters today think all you have to do is get on Facebook, have a have a page for your promotion, and and post uh, the lineup on the, on Facebook, and people are going to show up. Well, as we can see in most promotions, they don't. But Bert made a full time living. I I think he's probably the last full time promoter, you know, around now. I don't know how. I mean, other than you know the biggies like WWE, AEW, or whatever those other ones are. Uh, I think he's probably was probably the last full-time promoter who actually made a living and he did he made a living uh as a promotion as a promoter for i don't i can't remember how long it's 30 probably 30 years i guess now along with promoter though as you read through the book he was also you know an entering uh well not entering before but uh you know obviously as glenn mentioned christopher love uh that's where i knew him from was you know seeing footage as christopher love i did not know a lot about you know his promoting days and like you said this is definitely a book on, you know, how to promote the proper way. And there's a few guys out here in the Dallas territory, you know, they're still running some indie shows that, you know, you go out, you'll see posters. They're not just, you know, the Facebook guys. So it's still out there. It's still alive. But, you know, definitely this book is kind of a look into, you know, how to be a promoter and what the promoter days were like. He talked about, you know, sponsors and basically he was a very, he would walk right in and he, he sold his stuff like a, like a salesman, like a car salesman. And he would walk out with sponsorships for his shows. You know, he was, a, was a very interesting fella. He was a salesman. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely was a salesman. And, uh, I, I guess one of the things somebody posted something on Facebook today, I think it's Jason Presley. He put, made a post about the thing he found most interesting was Bert talking about what a sold show is. You know, there's a difference between a, a just a show you go in and promote yourself, you take all the risk, and then a sold show where somebody else gives you a certain amount of money and you bring the card in. And he goes through the steps in the book of, of what a sold show is and how it works, what percentage he gets from the people. And, uh, different, you know, depending on who's on the card, you know, he gets more money. And I thought that was really interesting. I'd never heard anything, anybody really explain that before. And so... I had to ask him that question and he was very, very upfront about what, you know, what he did as far as how he goes to sponsors, how he approaches people about, uh, you know, like uh, civic organizations, uh, how he approaches them about uh, holding a wrestling show. Now, when you're working on the book, you know, like I said, you're, you know, hours of interviews and, you know, this book is written in, like I said, in an interview form. Uh, Were there topics that came up that, you know, he didn't, want to talk about or just topics that he chose not, you know, to kind of, you know, just stay on briefly. Cause there's a few times you'll ask him about certain guys that are in his area and he'll, he'll say, sorry, I don't know. Or I don't remember, you know, was this kind of a, something that was coming up here? Cause like I said, he was sick at some point. In time. I don't know if this kind of affected like, you know, memory, what he remembered or something. Cause there are a few spots where he actually says, I don't remember. Yeah. Most of those cases. In fact, I think probably all of them, uh, was about guys, you know, say his Jonesboro promotion uh, back in whatever year it was. 
uh, it was guys that really were local Jonesboro guys, and he just didn't remember, you know, a lot anything about them. A lot of the guys, you know, he had guys come in for one or two weeks, you know, and, and you're not going to – you figure the number of guys he's promoted over the years, he's not going to remember a guy comes in for a one week or two week unless he was a name, name guy that you'd know from somewhere else. You know, most of the guys he said he can't remember were just like local guys or uh, maybe somebody even in from Memphis that just was a – you know, underneath guy that really had no name whatsoever. Uh, people even that we didn't know. He told me, I mean, he told me, gave me a lot of information in the book about a lot of guys I had never heard of. Of course, I quit following wrestling back in the eighties. And so I didn't know the the names, but uh, he, he gave me, you know, that we, that he shares a lot of information about them. I like to talk about that interview format too. Uh, up until now, whenever I've written a and quote unquote autobiography, I've written it in such a way as if the person I'm writing with, the wrestler, whoever, uh, actually wrote it. Well, I've got to a point I just can't do that, and, I, and I, part of the reason is I've had some, and Bert was one of them. Some people I talk to, and I say, okay, here's the deal: I'll do your book. You've got to get the, the I'll, I'll send you the audio files and you get it typed up and then I'll do all the editing. I'll call, I'll call you with follow up questions. And but I've got to have you do the transcription because I just don't have time for that anymore. Well, more cases than not now that doesn't happen, even though I get these promises. So all my books now, I'm not writing it as if they wrote it. I, if I'm doing everything, then I'm going to write it as an interview format. That's the first reason for doing an interview format. It's easier for me. I'm not going to sit there and rewrite it. And then, you know, it's like Don Fargo, guy, bless his heart. He couldn't even, he couldn't read or write. And yet he has a book, you know, and it's written as if he told it, you know, it's ludicrous, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. So the second reason is even beyond all that, to me, a book that's written in an interview format, this, what I always tell people, it makes you the reader feel like you're sitting across the kitchen table from Burt Prentice and he's talking to you and telling you his story rather than reading something that he purportedly wrote. Uh, but I, I love the, I'd rather ha read something in an interview format than, than, than anything, because it's like I said, it's like the guy sitting there talking to you and actually telling you his story. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the interview style as well. Uh, obviously, you know, your wrestling archive project that you've done, you know, collections of interviews. And of course, you know, we'll, we'll throw in a plug here. Uh, a recent book that just came out with John Cosper is Excitement in the Air from, you know, a friend of ours, Mike Rogers, which is a collection of interviews from Pacific Northwest territory that he ran in Ring Around the Northwest, which is another addition to my library that I need to read after I am done with Burt Prentice, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike, Mike is, uh, he has done uh, tons of interviews with the guys up in the Pacific Northwest. And of course he used to have his, uh, what was it? Ring around the Northwest, uh, newsletter. Yeah. And I always loved getting that years. in the mail. Cause I always, yes, I always loved getting that in the mail and reading the interviews. It was always so much fun. And, and even as long as I'd been around the business, not since 1970, well, really since about 1968. And I started writing around 1971. Uh, even in all that time, I still love it when I get newsletters in the in the mail or a book in the mail that's written in an interview format because I just enjoy reading something that, that sounds as if the wrestler is actually telling it to me rather than again rather than a canned presentation that somebody wrote themselves. 
Now, when you were working on the book with, uh, you know, Bert and all that, uh, was, was there stuff that came up that, like you said, you didn't know some of the names, but were there other things that, you know, that Bert did that, you know, you didn't know about or that, like basically you got a history lesson? Oh, the uh, global, it started with global wrestling. Well, actually back before, back before that, but I knew a little bit about Wichita. I knew a little bit, you know, about his promotion there, but nothing compared to what we, what he told me, uh, global wrestling. He shared so many inside stories about global wrestling. I'd never heard before you being a Texas guy, you may know a lot of it, but he, to me, he, he revealed a lot of things that I, I'd never heard and never read it in the observer, you know, uh, a lot of the questions I asked him, I knew basics, so I was able to ask him a question to get the answers out of him, uh, to get the information out of him. But Bert um, never once, when I, I asked him a question, not one time did he say he didn't want to talk about that. The only time he did that, and of course, and it's something different, is when I asked him about somebody in particular. Uh, one in, the, in particular is Bo James. He, he would say every time, I've always been told if you don't have something good about some to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. And he refused. There's about three, maybe four people that he refused to even talk about. When we first started this, one of the guys that he really talked pretty badly, but not badly, but he really sort of reveals the guy's character. Um, he really didn't even want to mention the guy's name in the book. He said, I don't even want him in my book. I said, Bert, that's part of your story. This guy is, is instrumental in a lot of the stuff you were doing and he's right there and we can't go without mentioning his name. So he ended up telling me a lot about the guy and it reveals a lot of stuff, you know, but for the most part, everybody else, he had no problem with it. There's maybe two other guys that he just said he'd rather not say anything or didn't have anything good to say about him. And I can admire that, you know, that's, that's probably a good trait. Now, you know, you're talking about, you know, all your books from now will be the interview format. It's like sitting across the table from the person. Uh, you and I have talked about this in the past. How do you sit down? You know, you said yourself, you have like a list of questions kind of that you start with, like a basic thing. And I've asked you about that and you won't reveal it to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what, what is your, you know, your process when you sit down with the person or you're on the phone with them? And what's the interview process? And just kind of how do you go and get the ball rolling to get the story told? Yeah, well, as you said, I've got 18 pages of questions, and it's probably more than that now. I've I've been adding to it that I've just developed over the years. I just, you know, sat down when I first started doing my Whatever Happened to magazine years ago. I sat down and just started putting questions down in a document on my computer. And before I knew it, I probably had 10, 15 pages. Well, over the years, I've added to it. Now it's 18 plus pages. And I start at the very top every single time in fact a lot of times it's it's in the book that way first question when where were you born and then i go through what did your parents do for a living what was your parents names i get go through their childhood i ask them much as i can think of and a lot of people say you know you that's wasted you know wasted space talking about their childhood what's that have to do with wrestling it's not a book about wrestling it's a book about in the art this case burt prentice his life and a lot of times you look at the pre people's childhood and it you can see how they became the man they were, or the person they were, uh, because of because of things that happened in their childhood and where, where they drew some of their interests. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I just start with those questions and I, I just work through them. And I've never had any problem with anybody uh, not want to answer anything, at least not after. Oh, I'd have to say ninety. Shoot, I'm trying to think. 
maybe 98, 99. I had a few before that that didn't want to, you know, it was still the, it wasn't kayfabe, but it was more, you know, things weren't quite as open or as open as they are now. And so I, I had a couple people, you know, it was just tough to get anything out of them. One guy, a Tennessee guy, he was willing to share a story, but he would not break kayfabe. You know, everything was blah. And I never did print it, never did publish it. Uh, Doug Gilbert, Doug Lindsay, not, not Doug Gilbert here in Tennessee, but the Doug Gilbert, the professional. Uh, everything I asked him was just, man, he gave me the most basic answers. If he could say yes, he'd say yes. If he could say no, he'd say no. If he had to give me uh, more words than that because of the way I phrased the question, it was very, very shallow. Uh, he's the only one that I really had a hard time getting anything out of. I mean, I, I didn't get anything whatsoever that was interesting. Uh, another one, and this may surprise some people, but I've had people all along and keep saying, man, you ought to interview Archie Goldie, the Mon Mongolian stomper. Well, I had an opportunity to, I was in Knoxville and stopped by to see Archie. And he, he said, you know, we got talking about doing an interview and maybe even a book. So we sat down, I got my recorder, brought my little video recorder. And I said, so let's get started. So I took my 18 pages of questions. Now, Archie was not being coy. He was not being, not wanting to talk. He was being as open as he could be, but we wound up after 18 pages of questions with an hour and 50 minutes of interview. And that is just unbelievable because most of the time, if I ask everybody every question on those pages, you're talking about eight to 10 hours, at least minimum. When I do books, you know, you're talking about 40, 50, 60 hours. But Archie, it wasn't that he was not wanting to open up, that he wasn't wanting to talk. It's just he didn't know how to tell his story. Some guys, you know, I always say, J.J. Dillon, you can put a quarter in and he'll talk for an hour. You know, Archie, you ask him a question and he tells you everything you can think of in five, you know, in five minutes, two, three minutes. You know, he just didn't. Some people just don't. I don't know if you ever noticed that, Mike. People, some people just don't have the ability to tell a story. You know, they 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 can share a few details, but they don't know how to expand on it and how to really make it flow and make it live. And Archie was one of those. And I hate that because, he, you know, he called me several times after that wanting to write a book. He said, we need to do a book. And I I just kept putting him off, you know, because there's no way you can, couldn't have got a book out of him. Uh, and, and I'm not knocking him for it. It's just, just the way he is. Other guys, too, that I've had a lot of main event guys that weren't very uh, – just weren't open and, you know, didn't know how to phrase a story, didn't know how to tell a story. A lot of guys like that. But, yeah. I, I've got an example like that. One of my favorites to always offer is uh, is Black Bart. I get to talk with him on occasion. Bart's a great guy. I love Bart. And he's got the greatest stories, but you really got to reel him in or else his story will go seven directions of what your first question was. Like I said, yeah. great storyteller. The stories are awesome, but you really got to reel it in because, or else you don't understand what, and he's talking about something that's not related to the original question. <laughs> well, you know what? I love guys like that. I, I got guys all the time, and Bert was one of them. In fact, I left it in the book uh, at one point. He said something like, where was I? Because he had gotten so far off track what I asked him, and I just reminded him. I said, you were talking about this. He said, oh, yeah, so we, he got back on track. But I have guys do that all the time. And I tell them, really, I tell them in the very beginning, when we first start doing the interview, I said, listen, I'm going to ask you questions. 
if I ask you something about something that happened in 1970, and, and, and during the process of you telling me what happened in 1970, you think of something that happened in 1976 that relates to that or it reminds you of something, go ahead and tell it. Because when you get through telling that story about 1976, I'm going to pull you back. I'm going to say, hey, all right, let's get back to 1970, and we start over. But you know what happens? A lot of writers, when they do interviews, if they say, okay, what about 1970? And they're talking, they say, you know, in 1976, wait, wait a minute, let's stay on 1970. Well, you may never get back to that story about 1976, or he may not even remember to tell it. So you've lost possible really great stories. I let the guys roll. I don't care. And when they get, when they get through talking about 1976, they may even jump to 1978. I let them go. Because what I do then later on, I tell you, that's the problem with Frankie Kane's book right now. You know, when they get through with 1978, I pull them back to 1970. Well, then when I'm typing it up, I just simply cut and paste 1976 into the section where it should work well. You know, 1978, I cut and paste that and move it up back up to the section where it'll work well. Sometimes other years will fit in with the early, let's say 1976 story might fit with 1970 because it's the same subject matter. But I let them flow. Mike, let them go. If they want to, if Black Bart wants to do that, let him roll because you can always move that stuff around. Frankie Kane, I have, oh man, I can't tell you. The first book, it was an interview format as well. The first book is so filled with stories and information. And yet the second book, I've probably got twice that. And it is, it, it was done over a period of probably 12 years, This the book, Frankie's story. So I've got stuff like, I, I may have talked to him about, Columbus, Ohio, 1945, uh, in, in the year, say, uh, 2002. And then in 2010, I talked to him about Columbus, 1945 again. So I've got, it's just like a huge jigsaw puzzle. Now, once I get it, go, you know, together, it's no big deal. I just make it flow. But uh, you just got to let the guys roll. And that's the best kind of guy to have. At least they're talking. There's a lot of guys you you have to pull stories out of them. You know, you just really have to pull, pull, pull just to try and get them to open up. Not, not, I don't mean open up as far as being willing to talk. I mean, being able to make their story interesting. I get, if you know what I mean. Oh, definitely. I'm going to bring in Glenn now. I'm sure he's got a few questions for you. Oh, I'm absolutely. I've been enjoying uh, listening to the conversation uh, you've been having, Mike, with our guest, uh, Scott Teal. Scott, uh, of course, from Crowbar Press, talking about the uh, recent release of Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. I can't help but hear Phil Collins's voice whenever I hear see that tonight, tonight, <laughs> tonight, by uh, Bert Prentice and Scott worked with uh, Bert on this project uh, shortly. Uh, uh, well, unfortunately, though, uh, Bert didn't get a chance to to uh, see this release come to full fruition because he had passed away. And uh, how? How long were you in contact with him? Uh, I mean, as far as like, were you in contact with him during those last days or was he pretty sick? Did he uh, just kind of go off and disappear? What was going on with, with Bert as far as like his health issues and what ultimately led to his death? I mean, you had to work with him throughout those, I mean, to put this book together. But what could you tell <laughs> from uh, health wise uh, from from Bert's perspective? Uh, well, a few, um, I'd say a month and a half before he died. Uh, we talked, and I think we did an hour interview. I, uh, most of the time when I do an interview and I get it transcribed, I get edited, I end up with more questions. 
you know, Mike, you probably know what I'm talking about because there's things they say and you think, well, I wonder about this. So we talked for about an hour and I filled in a bunch of holes in the, in the storyline that I had. Then I called him about three weeks before he passed away. And we were going to talk a little bit more. I didn't have a lot. I told him, I said, this first book, I said, I pretty much got everything I need. I said, but I just have a few little questions. Well, you'll read in the epilogue in the book that I wrote. I went, I called Bert. He sounded absolutely terrible. Bless his heart. He said he was down. I don't know how, what he weighed. He, he was, I mean, he was way down in weight compared to what he was. He was like a skeleton from what I understand. Mm. But he told me he wasn't feeling well. And, and he actually said he wasn't, he doesn't think he's going to make it. He says, Scott, I'm on my way out. He says, the only thing I would like, he says, it would make me feel so good. And this is three weeks before he passed. And he says, it would make me just make my life. If I could pass away with that book in my hands and boy, you talk about a heartbreaker. Oh my goodness. That, that just broke my heart. (laughs) So I I worked solid that, that three weeks trying to finish, but it, it was another week, I think before I ever, after he passed away that I really finished it. And I, I mean, I was working 10, 12 hours a day on it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just couldn't get it done. And And it really bothers me that I didn't, you know, get to get it to him so he could actually have a physical copy in his hands. He did read about a hundred pages of it, I guess that I sent him earlier mm-hmm. and, uh, just for him to look to read through, see if he'd like the format. And, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh, it, it really makes me sad that, that he didn't have that opportunity, yeah. but he did know he was, he was happy because he knew his legacy was going to be carried on and that people through this book will, remember who Burt Prentice is. And that's, that's the whole goal of everything I do with these guys. Uh, I'm hoping to do an interview with uh, Nick Kozak for my next wrestling archive project. Oh, wow. That guy has an incredible story, but he, uh, you know, if, if something happens to he's in his eighties now, you know, if he passed mm-hmm. away there, is, you wouldn't believe the stories and the memories that he's shared with me on the phone and all that's gone. Cause I didn't record it. You know, when he's gone, it's gone. And I want to help preserve the legacy of Nick Kozak. So people know that, you know, it wasn't Hulk Hogan who made wrestling what it was. It was guys like Nick Kozak, Jack Briscoe, mm-hmm. um, Tim Woods, Mr. Wrestling. It's it's all those guys. Bruno, well, Bruno gets his fair share of publicity. But so many of these guys who made these territories what they were, uh, big names in the, you know, in the different territories, uh, they need to have their stories told before it's too late. Oh. I, I I am one hundred percent agreement with you on that, and we'll talk a little bit about Chris Chris Albert Prentice. Uh, you know, I guess Mike and I both have mentioned that you know our first uh, you know basically the first time we we really got to know him was through his managerial role of the character of Christopher Honey Love. Now this is a character that. Uh, you know, had had its uh, own share of cocky and brashness, but later moved on and even to, even more like Liberace flamboyance when he was in the LPWA managing, uh, you know, the Glamour Girls. But talk about this evolution of this character because you know he he was he was out there, but you know it was one of those things where you know pro wrestling, you know there was a history as far as sexuality in, in the pro wrestling business, but it was kind of you know implied, but never really knocked over the head completely. But just 
talk about this and, and how Chris, you know, made his way into the business. I mean, he wasn't the, the very first gay guy to be in the business, but talk about how he dealt with it to not only parlay it into a managerial career, but he ended up becoming a, a very, very uh, well-known and well-remembered uh, promoter, too. Yes, absolutely. And it all started in San Antonio. He was a fan. He had a newsletter he wrote that he uh, sold through the old fan club corners in the magazines. Mm-hmm. And he just went and thought he'd, he, he started talking to, uh, he sent a letter to Bill Watts and Joe, uh, Joe Blanchard. Mm-hmm. Bill Watts was in Oklahoma, Joe Blanchard in San Antonio. But Watts sent him a, a note pretty much telling him everything he did wrong, said wrong in the newsletter, you know, and Joe Blanchard actually sent him a real nice letter saying how much he enjoyed it. Let me know if you ever get in this area. Well, Bert took that as an invitation and mm-hmm. he called Joe and talked. He got where he talked to Joe fairly regular. Joe, I never had the opportunity to talk to Joe Blanchard, but I always understood he was a really nice man and always had time for the fans. And But anyway, he invited uh, uh, Bert to come to San Antonio and sell his uh, little newsletter in the arenas. And during that time, Tully Blanchard, Joe's son, needed a manager and they uh, somehow got the idea that Bert would would make would fit the bill. So one day they were in the office, and Tully says, "Bert, do you think you can make Liberace look straight?" And Bert <laughs> says, "You mean like this?" And he proceeds to sashay across the office. <laughs> and next thing you know, he's on the USA Network. You know, he's on the USA Network managing Tully Blanchard, and uh, that's where the Christopher Love took off. And I. Uh, am I right in saying they called him Honey Love at first there? I know, or was that Memphis? That, I'm, I might have been Memphis, but I mean, it, it's just that character that is just yeah. out there, that, that this louder than life turned up to 12, you know, and the flamboyance yeah. and, and stuff. Not only, it was just a perfect catalyst, though, I mean, for, to get those fans, to get them riled up and wanting, uh, wanting uh, his neck and, uh, as he does whatever things to, uh, you know, distract uh, his, the opponent or whatever. The classic managerial stuff, but he kind of took it to, you know, he had his own uh, sort of a spin on it, let's just say. Yes, he did. And Bert says he, he never enjoyed the spotlight. He didn't like, and to an extent that's true. I know he there were times he really wanted that spotlight, but he says he didn't enjoy the spotlight. He would much rather stay behind the scenes promoting, uh, running the shows, you know, promoting the Mm -hmm. different towns. And that's, that's what, that's really, that was Burt Prentice's forte. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. where he, he shown was in promoting. And if I was sort of the same way, um, I have people all the time ask me, you know, when, when you, when I worked for Nick Goulas, that was from 1975 to about 1980, people say, did you ever, ever want to wrestle or referee? Now I refereed two times just, just cause a referee didn't show up mm-hmm. one time in Bowling Green and the other was some spot show somewhere. I don't even remember where it was, but I always answer. I never, ever one time in my life ever considered an active role as a talent in the ring. I never wanted to announce. I never want. I didn't even want to do timekeeping, announcing. Never wanted to referee, manage, wrestle. I never, ever, ever had uh, the desire to do that. What I wanted to do was write about pro wrestling. Of course, at the time, I was writing about pro wrestling because I was creating the programs uh, to sell to the fans in the arenas, and they were just kayfabe stories about you know this wrestler did this. He won this title when he was in Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. he's here now to defeat so and so whatever, you know, 
but that's what I love doing. And of course, now once things in 1996, I started on whatever happened to, uh, man, I loved, I, that's probably my favorite time of all when I started writing my, uh, whatever happened to magazines. Mm-hmm. And, th- and, and that's pretty much, I think the way Chris is, or, or Bert, he, he wants, wanted to promote, you know, he, he was okay with the Christopher love, honey love deal, but his heart was in promoting and, and just run, being behind the scenes. Like, you know, it, you know, being in a pro wrestling company and working for these various promoters, that must have been something, too. I mean, in those territory days uh, towards the end, he had a chance to be a part of. He must have been uh, taking must have been taking a certain amount of mental notes as far as, uh, you know, watching some of the big promoters, some of these guys. And, you know, it, it definitely probably helped his education further and gave him even more confidence to go out and promote. When about did he decide that he was going to uh, promote? And uh, how did that go about come about as far as like getting, uh, you know, starting to find himself uh, being able to promote in certain areas, certain parts of the country? What was it that really got him into the, into promoting that he finally just decided that, yeah, you know, I'll maybe do the managerial appearances here and there. But uh, my real love is here. And, and, you know, Chris and then eventually gone went Christopher Love. And, you know, we, we've got to know Bert Prentice. Right. I, Bert really got his his uh, start in promoting back when he went to Wichita. And that was, he was on his way to Dallas to talk to Joe Pettacino. And, uh, well, you know what, even before that, when he was in, uh, uh, he went to, he, he paid some visits to um, oh, Minnesota. I take that back. Uh, yeah, back in Wichita. That's where he really got the, the interest in promoting. Uh, I think he, he learned lessons from Joe Blanchard. Cause he even talked about, uh, running some spot shows for Joe and, and Tully. And so that's where he, he got the bucket. I guess it just, when he started doing that, he, he started to love, you know, he realized, realized how much he loved doing that. Mm-hmm. And of course, then he got called by Joe Penasino to come work for global, but it was like six months, a year off. They were just making plans. And so Bert had to find something to do. So that's when he decided he'd go open, you know, open his own promotion before mm-hmm. that. And of course, that's there's some great stories. That was in South Dakota, actually. And there's a that promotion did fairly well, but uh, ended up he had some problems with Buzz Sawyer, and of course that's all laid out in the book. Buzz <laughs> really put a, did a number on him, and so he quit. And that, of course, that was about the time Global started, and so Bert went to Global and got started there mm-hmm. as Christopher Love, and he actually was called Honey Love. Uh, now I think about it in Memphis. They, he used to say something at the end of his interview, something about, and that's that's I'm coming to you, honey, or something like that. Oh, okay. And so they called him Honey Love. He didn't like that. He, you know, I think he preferred Christopher Love. And I talk to a lot of guys now who still they don't call him Bert. Now I call him Bert. I never knew him as Chris. I never even watched it uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. But I always called him Bert. But a lot of the guys that knew him back then, they still call him Chris to this day. Yeah, and another thing I can remember about Chris, or you know, Bert uh, under the Christopher Love moniker was uh, working with Torberg in the LPWA, which was a, a short-lived all-ladies uh, professional wrestling league uh, that ran ran for a while, and they ended up putting on a, uh, attempting to put on these pay-per-view events and stuff. Uh, that must have been a very interesting because I've, we've heard I've heard strips and drabs about Torberg and you know him wanting to get into the wrestling business and his his own backstory. But combining that with Christopher Love, and I, I think there was uh, what a few other vet, vet guys they ended up working for the LP 
LPWA at Ken Resnick. But it must have been an interesting time, uh, to, you know, with the LPWA and managing the Glamour Girls. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Judy Martin and Lalani Kai. Yeah, he talks about that. He loves those two girls. Yeah. He, he talks, <laughs> talked about that all the time. I'm, that was one of his favorite times, I believe. And But yeah, he worked for the LPWA in Torberg. And I, I talked to him quite a bit about Torberg. He, he didn't know a whole lot of background information mm-hmm. on him, where, you know, really where he got his start or who brought him into the business, how he got started promoting. But uh, but he did have some good information about it. And, of course, he talked a lot about all the girls that worked for the LP, LPWA. Again, I never saw it because I quit following wrestling, you know, long, long before he, you know, he was doing that. But uh, he worked that, that, you know, you take the small promotions he that he visited during those early years. And I'm talking about even before Global. He went to the World Organization Wrestling Promotion in Mobile, Alabama, uh, run by my friend Rip Tyler. And he got, you know, he got to do a few things there and they, you know, he got to uh, help promote and, you know, they needed things done in the towns. And a lot of it that he learned that uh, promoting, it wasn't because he went out and started promoting the towns. It's because they'd say, hey, Bert, can you go put up some posters in this town? So he'd go out and put them up and he'd talk to the guys on what, you know, when they're making trips on the road, he'd ask them questions. You know, he was always picking somebody's brain. How do you do this? How do you get the word out to the people, you know? what's the best method of putting up posters? Where else can you put up uh, posters? Where else can you get publicity out, you know, uh, besides paying the newspaper a fortune for a box ad? Mm -hmm. So he, he just, I think it's like you said, he took notes everywhere he went. And by the time he uh, decided to start promoting on his own, which uh, the first big time was Jonesboro, Arkansas. And that chapter in the book to me is fascinating because he just took that, that town right out from underneath Eddie Marlin, who'd been promoting there for, for years. Oh man. And it's a pretty incredible story. Yes. One of many uh, great stories that a listener can uh, find in tonight, 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 uh, the story of Burt Prentice. Uh, we're going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation here on this edition of wrestling memories. Then and now with our guest, Scott Teal from crowbar press. Yeah, I got, I got a couple questions left. Uh, kind of funny story though. I wanted to share real quick. Scott mentioned, uh, you know, his whatever happened to books, which I own the collection of bottom from CAC a few years back. But the first year I went to CAC in 2006, Scott was there and he had his table all set up with all the different books. And I purchased a few, but when I look, when I when I heard his name, I'm like, Oh, you wrote the, whatever happened to column in the inside wrestling or the wrestler, whichever one ran it. But that's how I knew Scott was from whatever happened to. And I remembered his name from the column in the magazine. I've always thought, you know, oh, yeah. kind of a fun story about how and I, him and I met. <laughs> I had forgotten all about that magazine. Yeah, it's, uh, they contacted me and wanted to know if I could do short pieces on, on these guys. So I really, a lot of those were, uh, you know, it was only one page. Each whatever happened to segment in the magazine was only one page. And a lot of that I just took out of my whatever happened to magazine, my own whatever happened to magazine. I was sort of condensed it, sort of like a, a reader's digest type thing and sent a couple pictures with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that, uh, being able to write for London publishing back then. Now, you know, we're, we're talking about your Burt Prentice book. We talked, you mentioned Frankie Kane's book, which is one I still need to pick up. Uh, got the buddy Rogers book, amazing read, like Glenn said, but what's coming up. What's what's on the plate. You mentioned Joel Goodhart. You got a wrestling archive project, but you know, who are some of the guys kind of waiting in the wings to get the Scott Teal treatment that, uh, you know, Glenn and I and our listeners can maybe look forward to. 
<laughs> well, other than Joel and uh, Frankie Kane, uh, uh, Nick Kozak will be in my next wrestling archive project. Uh, Beverly Shade, a lot of people don't know her husband. His name is Billy Blue River, and he promoted St. Petersburg, Joy, uh, Joyland Arena. Uh, well, it's called Joyland. It was an old country music place where country music stars would sing on the weekends. And Billy and, and uh, Beverly promoted Joyland. And I've done about, oh, I'd say 10 hours with them, and they've got a fascinating story. And nobody knows who he is, and that, which, which sort of brings me to a point. A lot of guys, you know, they, they think, man, I want to interview and do a book on Ric Flair, or I want to do a book on whoever, you know, one of these big, big names. I have never been driven by uh, uh, on to write a book about a certain guy because he's a, he was a quote-unquote big name. Yeah, then you might sell more books. But my interest lies more in guys that have fascinating stories. Uh, one story I always tell is a guy uh, named Duke West, Hal we Harold West. He, his biggest claim to fame was wrestling one TV show for Vern Gagne. Everything else was these little tiny independent promotions in Indiana and Ohio. And he never really made a name. Nobody even knows his name. I mean, he wrestled uh, under a couple different names, but he, he was quote unquote, a nobody. And he'll admit that. But when he wrote me, I thought, man, this guy, this guy was never anything in the business. I don't know if I want to do this book because who's going to buy it? Well, that turned out to be true. Uh, I wrote, published his book and edited it because I was fascinated by this story, this guy who, who by all counts was a nobody in the wrestling business, but he had such a love for the business. He wanted it so badly and he had such great stories. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. So we published it and it took me I think it took me two years before I even got my money back on the number of books I ordered, uh, which is no big deal. You know, the book is out there. His, his, his story, again, his story is out there for, for his future, future generations, his grandchildren, and it's a good book. But I've never written a book because of a guy having name value. I write it because of the history and the stories that we can preserve. So, and that's why, one, you know, like Billy Blue River, nobody knows who he is. He had a great promotion in St. Pete. It was it was small, and he was the bane of Eddie Graham. That's for sure. They hated him, and they sent tried to. I think they sent guys out there before you know some of their wrestlers out there to intimidate them, but they didn't let it bother them. They continued to promote. But it's a great story of a guy that, against all odds, promoted his own little promotion in the midst of championship wrestling from Florida being so big there. And, uh, but, but yeah, I've got a lot of guys like that. Eddie Sharkey's a guy I'll be calling soon. I want to get to Kenny J, uh, both of them from the Minnesota area. There is so many guys now that I, that I, I want to call and, and get into my wrestling archive project because, you know, granted, most of these guys don't have enough to, for a full book. I mean, you've got to really be very, I don't know what, what word I'm, it's not outspoken, but you've just got to have a good handle on your career and know how to tell a story to do do a full book um, but anyways other than those um i've got more uh wrestling uh classic arena program books coming out i've got several more volumes and what i do in those is i, I reprint the entire arena programs from from the various towns the first of which was my own slamogram uh, program that i sold in nashville the, in the nashville fairgrounds arena uh, in the, in the mid, uh, late seventies. Uh, and then I have a couple, one with Knoxville programs I have championship wrestling from Florida for 1970, 71. 
and I've got three volumes of St. Louis programs that are that, that go. I forget what year I started. It's something like 1940 something, I believe. I've got three volumes. I got two, three more volumes. I'm getting ready on those. Uh, uh, Knoxville, like like I said earlier, Knoxville and uh, Amarillo, Volume Two for each of those. I'm looking at uh, the Luthes Ring record, which will include and Buddy Rogers, which will include a lot of photos never before seen by people and probably uh, interviews with their uh, spouses. In other words, uh, Charlie Thez, I want to you know do an interview for for Luthes's Ring record book. Uh, Buddy Rogers, I've talked with Debbie Rogers, his wife, she, who who actually uh, went by the name Nature Girl in the nightclubs uh, after she got married to to uh, uh, to Buddy. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I got all kinds of record books, history books. Like I want to do Tampa, Florida. I'm going to do a two volume set on them, all the matches in St. Louis. More uh, Haruo, I mean, uh, Ko Koji Miyamoto and uh, is going to be doing more of the Japan volumes. The next one will be 1964 to 1970, which will include all the things that happened in Japan, all the matches. Ronnie Garvin, I guess the next book after the ones I mentioned will probably be Ronnie Garvin. We talked about it on and off for years and years, and his is man, that guy has more hilarious stories. I mean, it's just drop dead stuff. Uh, so that's that's pretty much everything that's on the docket for right now. Did I tell you what I'm gonna do in my spare time? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Will the Ronnie Garvin book include an interview with Miss Atlanta Lively? Because I'm I'm sure she's got a story or two. <laughs> yeah, it might. <laughs> you know that that's a good idea. I'm glad you said that. I'll probably do that. Have a forward by Miss Atlanta Lively. That would be cool. There you go. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, I contributed to a Crowbar Press publication. All right. I'm, I'm there you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Any chance you're coming into, possibly coming into Dallas for arena program someday? Uh, doing a, a classic arena program book, you mean? Yeah. It's possible. Chris Knight was really, uh, he was my co-author on, uh, He actually, he was the author, and I added a lot to it for the Amarillo books, but Chris Knight really is the one that spearheaded that project. And I'd have to have somebody really spearhead that one. Uh, for one thing, the Dallas newspapers aren't online. And the other thing about the Amarillo history book, there is so much in the Amarillo newspapers. And I'm talking way back to the 1800, late 1800s. Uh, that, that, I mean, I'm talking about not just results, but in-depth stuff about what was going on behind the scenes. That That's where we got a lot of the information for the Amarillo book. But Dallas, they had the worst coverage, or if any coverage, you know, they just, they didn't have anybody there that really reported the results to the newspaper. They didn't have articles that talked about what happened during the matches. They may have uh, Buddy Rogers beat Luthez in Dallas on so-and-so date, but that's it. You know, they don't have the information. And yeah, record books are good, but I don't know if there's, a, if Dallas newspapers had enough regular coverage that we'd even be able to to say, hey, this is a book with every single wrestling match from 1930 all the way up to 1980. I don't think we can do that because I don't think the Dallas newspapers had that in it. Amarillo, we've got every single match from the late 1800s up to 1960. Second volume would be 1961 until the very last match in Amarillo in the late 80s. Uh, so, and same with Knoxville, Tim Dills. What, what a great guy, uh, great job Tim Dills did on Knoxville when the same way he spearheaded that I just filled mm -hmm. in and found a lot of information that I felt could, you know, it could go with it. 
but yeah, Dallas is just a hard nut to crack because there's just not enough information still out there. I, and maybe somebody knows if there is, but I, I haven't seen it. Most of what I've ever found with Dallas is during the heyday in the eighties where everybody, that was the Von Eric Freebird era. And that's the heyday of the time. Earlier than that, yeah. Vance Nevada and myself, we have a very spotty collection of newspaper results and all that. So yeah, Absolutely. I have results. I have results from the sportatorium from 19, from the beginning of big world-class wrestling up to when they closed in 90, I have most of the match results through uh, Vance Nevada and all that. But as far as newspaper clippings go, yeah, no, it, it's right. very rare unless you're the Von Erichs or the Freebirds. And if you go back before the world-class wrestling, before the, you know, the Von Erichs really took off, there's just very, very sketchy stuff. Like you say, mm -hmm. very, very sketchy articles. There's nothing with any meat in it. It's simply so-and-so beat so-and-so, so-and-so beat so-and-so. And that's, like I said, it's got its place because some people like to have that. Just if nothing else, it gives you a history of the territory. But it doesn't give you that good inside background information that fans want to read about what really went on behind the office, you know, who was fighting who. Uh, I'm not talking about fighting in the ring, but I'm talking about fighting in the dressing room. Who was you know, all that kind of thing. What was the promoter doing, you know, then? What kind of trouble? The, the Knoxville book I did, Man, we have got story after story about George Kazana, the first promoter in Knoxville, all the trouble he got in and things that, th things that happened to him. Because there's a guy in the newspaper, he was a columnist in the sports section. He wrote about everything he heard that happened with George Kazana. You know, his, his, uh, he had a gambling establishment and got raided by the police. You know, things like that that you, you just don't normally hear. Well, Dallas as far as I know, doesn't know that. And I don't think Dallas newspapers are even on uh, newspaper archives online yet either. Uh, Dallas Morning News is. I, I can find stuff there. But once again, it's all the 80s. Uh, I'm going to pass yeah, the mic right. back over to Glenn, though, because I believe we are running up at the end of our show. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. We've uh, we've reached the time limit. We went the Broadway. This has been another fantastic <laughs> edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with our guest, Scott Teal. Of course, uh, Scott uh, always has the open invitation to come back any old time. Uh, the book he was promoting today, you uh, check it out tonight, tonight, tonight. Go to Crowbar Press. Uh, go to the website. You can go to Amazon. Go wherever you get your books. Pick this up. It's definitely worth your time. For Scott Teal and the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories.